This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today I am speaking with Leticia Buck Elk Thunder and Daisha Red Thunder Griego, the founders of Indigenous Made Missoula, a platform created to empower and propel Indigenous artists. There is space for you and that your your voice and your work is it matters and it makes our whole community better to have representation. Indigenous Made Missoula offers events and services centered on creating viable economic opportunities for a diverse array of Indigenous creators. Leticia, Daisha, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so let's start out with where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Daisha, let's start with you. Uh, I grew up in Butte, Montana, and my parents raised us there. My dad um, eventually ended up in Butte as a minor, but before that he started as a migrant worker from like five years old in Texas and then worked his way up and was kind of a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. And my mom was a homemaker and a seamstress and a little bit of everything too. Very good. Leticia. Yeah, I was born in Browning, Montana. Um, My mom and dad were into powwow, so they met during powwow. I was a powwow baby. We traveled. Um, I grew up and finished school in Ganado, Arizona. Okay. And yeah, my parents were, um, my dad was a bus driver. My mom was a nurse and then a teacher. And um, yeah, kind of entrepreneurs in their own right. Like we did, we've always done like a lot of business-minded things. Sure. And how did the two of you meet? How did your paths cross? We met about five years ago, I think maybe longer, at a sewing class. So it was a a regalia sewing class. So we were learning and getting help to make fancy shawl powwow regalia for our daughters. Mm -hmm. And we sat together and just connected right away. Our daughters are around the same age. We all have similar names, which is really funny. And then, um, yeah, we were making the same outfits. And so we just connected right away. And from that initial conversation stemmed further conversations about the need for more opportunity and representation for indigenous creators. Is, is that is that the correct understanding? Yeah, we actually sat by a river with our girls and we were just talking about kind of our dreams and, and just thinking about a lot of different things that we were going through at the time yeah. and things that we needed in the community um, and also our own personal experiences. And that kind of just kept shifting into things that we were doing in our everyday life and like the way that our lives were leaving, like our paths mm-hmm. were kind of going in things of like awareness, education, art, and community, and all of that kind of just, we kept we kept going to each other and being like, we need to do this, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Then finally we just did it. And, and what were you both doing professionally at that time? Tisha? Yeah, so my background is social work, and so I've been a social worker and advocate in the community for like the last decade. Okay. And so I work for the Missoula County Public Schools in the Super. Native American Student Services Department. Okay. Yeah. And Leticia, what were you up to? I'm a homeschool educator. Mm-hmm. I am an entrepreneur. I'm an artist. I kind of just really believe in the quality of life and like my time. My time is like really important. So I invest a lot of that into businesses and organizations. So the two of you decide to launch this platform. We'll get into what Indigenous Made Missoula is all about, but maybe describe more broadly the problem that you saw 
in this space for indigenous artists? What what were some of the barriers to um, creating viable economic pathways? Daisha, you want to start with that? I mean, it started with that class, and we were just grateful for that opportunity to be able to meet and work with other indigenous women who are also working on a similar project so we could get that firsthand feedback and help from each other and ideas. And we just talked about like, that was really awesome. I wish we had more opportunities to do that, more spaces dedicated to us to do that. A lot of lack of representation, I think, in the community is what we felt and noticed. And as we talked to other community members, it's a common feeling of just like a lack of space and representation that's created by our own community using our own voices and representing ourselves. So when you talk about space and representation, help me understand the experience of that. Do you mean there there wasn't a physical space for folks to gather and display their their work or sell their work or or places to share to create that work? Like well, how does that kind of feel? I would say that both. There's a lack of physical spaces that are dedicated or created by Indigenous people with, mm-hmm. with from our own perspective. Um, so that really doesn't exist too much in the general community. On campus, we have the Payne Family Native American Center, yeah. and that's one of the only physical spaces I can think of that specifically has an Indigenous perspective from like the ground up. Yeah. Um, and then just as far as even community events, a lot of times they're not indigenous centered and it can feel like indigenous people and our, the representation is like a second thought or like, it would be nice if we included this and kind of like add it at the tail end right. of an event or a planning thing, or we're tucked away in a corner of an event, or it'll be non-Indigenous people representing us or organizing events on our behalf, which is appreciated, but at the same time, we can have our own voice as well. Uh, Leticia, anything to add there? What was your sense of some of the barriers as you were approaching this project? We reached a level of frustration, I think. Just this idea of what can we do for our girls? What can we do for our babies and our um, families that were growing and our communities? And how can we continue to live in Missoula in the current economic climate <laughs> and yeah. thrive? How can we stay connected? Because we are in an urban setting and we come from different backgrounds. Um, I was raised on the reservation. And so coming here, it's isolating. It's kind of, it's jarring to see the amount of people who want to help, but kind of go about it in a way where we come off as helpless. Right. There just needs to be more representation. There just needs to be more support sure. from the people who are actually doing it in the community. So at some point in these conversations about some of the problems you were trying to solve, the idea of Indigenous-made Missoula came to be. Um, talk about that origin story, and then we'll get into kind of the specifics. So it was literally sitting at the river and talking about like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a space where we could create like a physical space? And then wouldn't it be cool if we had our own markets and events Mm -hmm. and we are the ones who ran them and then we're supported by the non-Indigenous allies? Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of where it started. And then we just kept dreaming a little bit bigger. What if we hosted events? What if we worked with these artists? What if we just, yeah, it just kept growing. And then finally we said we have to do this like how does this not exist yet and we need to be in the center of town like we don't want to be in 
corners anymore. And then we just gave ourselves a deadline eventually. We're like, let's just do it. Let's do it on Indigenous Peoples Day. And then once we had a date, we just jumped in. So yes, Indigenous Peoples Day of 2022, approaching your year anniversary. Um, what was that first thing that you decided to do? What was your sort of, or your, your launch, if you will? We're artists. And at the time I was going through, I was doing a lot of markets and I was doing a lot of um, art outreach in the community. And okay. I think what that led us to is seeing that there was a viable need in the community and there was a completely open space for indigenous led and operated markets really because that would have the most impact in the community as far as like uplifting people economically. Mm-hmm. Once we decided on that, we really just kind of reached out to our community and we are very grateful and to have people in the community who were able to steer us in the right direction and kind of help us make connections with the people that we needed to at that time. And it, at that time, it just so happened to be Salish Kalis Bay Culture Committee. Okay. And they were doing a Indigenous Day Indigenous Peoples Day event, and we have been able to connect with them, and that's where our first event was held. It was very important for us to partner with Indigenous tribes, Indigenous leaders, Indigenous people, and having that, I think, really created this event that was just full of really amazing energy and really supported by the community. We were able to really just focus on what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, and we have a lot of strengths in organizing. We have a lot of strengths in marketing and we were able to kind of just put that in there and it kind of came into this really emotional time where we were like, we did it and it was it was awesome. And so what did that look like? It was a, a distinct market uh, in and of itself run by you folks and your colleagues and highlighting indigenous artists and creators. What was, the, what was kind of the nuts and bolts of it? It was um, in collaboration with the Bear Tracks Bridge dedication. Mm -hmm. And so the tribe did the majority of like that part of the event. And then we hosted a market that was just to the side Mm -hmm. of the pavilion with all indigenous artists. And we were able to get sponsors. So there were no fees at all for vendors to set up. I think we had, I think we had 40, around 40 vendors set up. All different Montana tribes were represented all different kinds of arts. So you mentioned the fees. Mm -hmm. So in like the Saturday market, that is a big part of Missoula Summers and surely other communities across Montana and many towns in general, that fee for a vendor, that is a barrier, right? If you're trying to get going as a new artist. So that's something that your first iteration of the market, a problem you you tried to solve, You, you got grant funding or some other source of funding to make it so that creators could establish a space without having to pay that entry fee? Indigenous communities operate differently than Western society in terms of business and in terms of even how we set things up. We've got the feedback a lot that people see the markets as almost a social space Uh where they're able to connect. And that connection is a little bit different, whereas opposed to, like I guess, traditional capitalism where it's, here's the price, buy it. Sure. There's a little bit of an exchange that needs to happen. There's a little bit of education that needs to kind of occur. And I think that's something that's really unique in the markets is we really try to foster that community gathering, that social spirit, you know, having music, having like anything that we can do to create a really safe, inclusive, vibrant space. That's, I think, one thing that we're noticing with the markets. But in that barrier is 
lack of business and professional development. Mm. Um, there is a lack of resources. A lot of people are rural, so them having to access traditional materials or business materials is going to take a lot longer, a lot more money. Um, also, just the very basics of setting up a booth, a tablecloth, um, business cards, signs, like all of those things that we're trying to identify in the community as needs so that we can figure out how we can help them with what we're able to do. A little bit of what I'm hearing is the default setting of capitalism. It does not necessarily align smoothly with a lot of the life experience of many in the indigenous community. Is that a fair framing? Yeah. Also in terms of consumer education and consumer awareness, I think there is a little bit of a barrier with the consumer to the indigenous artists in regards to when they go around a market, there might be a little bit of a hesitation because of things such as cultural appropriation, um, cultural awareness and education. And I think that barrier is something that we're seeing that we can help with the artists in terms of the community connection and creating a educated space for them to feel comfortable enough that they can connect. And we're seeing that that barrier doesn't really exist at our markets anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can just go up and they'll buy and then they'll know that it's okay. And I, we've heard that feedback from the artists as well that they don't see that hesitation. So that's, a, I guess, an indicator that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of that speaks to why, why it's important that we're taking the lead and, mm-hmm. and making our own events and hosting them ourselves is being able to almost be that like translator between Mm -hmm. two worlds and it's saying like on on this end this is how we can do business and do these transactions and and help the artists and then on this end we can educate um, consumers and so I think being able to be led by indigenous people is I mean another Saturday market for example wouldn't wouldn't have that life experience or knowledge to be able to translate those things that are important. We'll be back to my conversation with Letitia Buck Elk Thunder and Daisha Red Thunder Griego after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. This is University of Montana President Seth Bodner, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Letitia Buck Elk Thunder and Daisha Red Thunder Griego of Indigenous Made Missoula. I suppose trust is a big part of it as well. You know, you sort of look for somebody you trust as far as like going into this, not only the, the exchange of trying to sell your wares, but also stepping into this arrangement of, okay, I need to operate within this market. How do I know that this person running this market I can trust and and, and that that person has my best interests in their mind in some way? So talk about it maybe from the perspective of the artist coming into seeing your, your platform as an opportunity. How are they viewing what you have to offer differently than some of the, the other mechanisms that they have? We're coming from a similar or same perspective that they are. So we have similar life experiences and beliefs. And so without having to like educate the organizer, we already know what a lot of those issues are. Some of the issues that could come up in other markets are cultural appropriation. So maybe non-Indigenous people selling 
indigenous inspired work oh, okay and then having yep. having to deal with that discomfort of okay i'm an in the only indigenous person here selling my work but there's a non-indigenous person over there selling items that are inspired by sure. and just just that discomfort i think is really difficult yeah. um, and that we eliminate that by being indigenous led and all of our makers are indigenous as well how big a problem is that is there a lot of that sort of it's exploitation exploitation okay uh, appropriation sure and the way to combat that is to celebrate authentic art yeah and educate i think coming from the reservation into an urban setting you get this you're kind of bombarded with this idea that you need to be a teacher and that mm. you need to be the one that's like educating everybody and uh, I so think you you feel like that you're expected to carry that weight. Yeah, or wow. you're also put in a, a position of being tokenized, right? And you're kind of sometimes put in a position where people will use your identity to kind of okay what what they're choosing to do. And it, I think a lot of it does come down to education. It comes down to awareness that we we are trying to help within the community for sure. But also that should happen on part of the consumers yeah. and other artists as well. And I think that's just that just comes with time and people supporting and, and taking an interest and in seeing that this is something that exists completely differently and operates in a, a whole different sphere of culture and community. Yeah, a non-Indigenous person presenting Indigenous-inspired artwork, that seems exploitative and unethical in some ways. Yet at the same time, so much in art gets borrowed from you know one culture to another from that's a lot of how art is created historically like what is the line between exploitation and inspiration i honestly i've always felt like it's identity i feel like sometimes what you create in art you should be connected to it okay or i was taught that like when i was first learning to bead and sew and everything. My mom and dad were very much, you know, you're Navajo, you're Blackfeet, this is where you come from. And all of those things were just kind of put into me and developed my identity and who I am. And that bleeds into what I create. Daisha, do you have any reactions to that? Yeah, I think what a lot of indigenous artists and creators, like, like Leticia said, we do create things that represent us or come from some part of our identity so it's not just like I like that color let me put it on this canvas a lot of times there's meaning behind it and sometimes it is cultural teachings or identity and I think that the problem comes when somebody looks at it and just says that's a really pretty design let me replicate it mm -hmm. without knowing the history behind it not knowing the meaning behind it um, and then taking that and selling it for yep. example is then taking it away from that original person whose self is put into that piece of art also indigenous art and artists has kind of become tribally influenced a lot of people who are making art a lot of times that can kind of resonate within their tribal designs their tribal colors so a lot of times you can tell who people are by the way that they create and those things are within tribal uh, lineages. That's how indigenous art is evolving, is through uh, tribal lines. You can tell if someone is making someone and they're from an eastern tribe or a coastal mm -hmm. tribe or a northern tribe or southern tribe. You can tell and you can see that. And that's just because we're influenced. 
that's part of the education piece that we're working on too is with our markets we have name tags or table markers table signs yeah that identify the artist's name their business name if they have one and then what tribe they're affiliated with because there is a huge diversity within Mm -hmm. the indigenous community Mm -hmm. so we're all indigenous artists but if you really look at which tribes we represent and what our art looks like you can see a lot of those differences and there again like influences in the work is there an issue of somebody from one tribe being influenced by the artistic expression of, of somebody in another tribe it varies from person to person. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. if you ask everybody, everyone's going to have a different view on that. Yep. So I think we got a good sense for the sort of integrity that you're trying to introduce into this space through the markets that you're you're creating and the opportunities you're creating for Indigenous artists. Talk about it from the perspective of the customer. How do you kind of view that? Like, I, I want to be an educated consumer. I want to spend my money responsibly and support artists in in creating authentic work and and work with integrity. But it's just the simple act of me as a a white person buying a piece of indigenous created art. Is that a form of appropriation? I would say that's a form of appreciation rather than appropriation. Mm -hmm. So at our markets and with our artists, like we're not selling items that would be inappropriate for a non-indigenous person to own. So we're not selling um, like ceremonial items or things that should only be... So like regalia, for example, mm-hmm. that would be out of bounds. Right, yeah. And our artists know as well, like when they're making something, who who they have in mind to purchase it. And at our markets, it's in Missoula. It's open. Everybody is welcome. That's another like important reason why we're doing this is creating that safe space also for the consumer to know that they can come and they're they can buy anything that they want to at the market and it would be appropriate for them to right, do feel so good about it. yeah and they can talk to us we've had some really good conversations mm-hmm. and connections within the community and we always try to keep ourselves open to having all of those conversations yeah. and to help bridge that gap because we think that's important within the community too what are some of the best or most interesting conversations you've had in that space one that we get a lot are from women who will kind of browse around the market and then come back to us and say, can I buy those earrings over there? I really love them. They're so beautiful. Is it okay for me to wear them? Uh-huh. Um, and so we have that conversation pretty often of like, yes, go get them and get them before someone yeah. else does sure. and, yeah. and wear them it's with pride. And while you're out, it's an opportunity for conversation with other people. Like this is where I got these and this was the maker and she's from this tribe or he's from this tribe. And it can be a talking point for people and you're promoting indigenous art, you're promoting that indigenous artist um, and you can feel good about it. Did you see yourselves as educators before you kind of entered into this venture? Yeah. In college, I majored in early childhood education. Okay. And then once I had my daughter, I really felt passionate about educating just in life and all across like myself, my daughter and my family. And I think that's something that's been at the basis of this is our daughters and ourselves (laughs) and us growing. So I grew up in an urban environment. I grew up in Butte and was one of the few Native American students growing up in my like cohort. So my Mm. mom would come into the schools and share teachings that way. And she was very involved in youth group and teaching that way. And so I just definitely picked that up from her. And that's always been something that I've been very, I guess has been very important to me and is also the way that I'm raising my child.
Some big milestones coming up for not only the two of you, but for your organization and all involved. Indigenous Peoples Day on October 9th. What is all happening on that day and how are you going to celebrate this important milestone for your organization? We'll be collaborating again this year with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes, the Salish and Bay Culture Committee, and Missoula City and County uh, for a powwow in Karis Park. We'll be hosting the Indigenous Made Market. And it's open to the public. Folks can just show up and, and take it all in. Yes, yep. everyone, please come out and support support Indigenous artists and entrepreneurs. Yeah, fantastic. And what else is coming up? On November 26, 2023, we're hosting the second annual First Peoples Winter Market, okay. where we'll be uplifting and featuring Indigenous artists, makers, and entrepreneurs. And last year, we had a really diverse array of people and goods available for mm-hmm. the community. And we'll be at the Missoula Fairgrounds. So I guess in our remaining moments, I'd love to get kind of two lines of advice for different types of listeners. First type of listener would be an Indigenous artist. If you were to speak to an Indigenous artist trying to encourage them on how to take that leap, what would you advise? I would say to value yourself and be proud of who you are, where you come from, and to connect with your community and to create with a lot of love. Daisy, do you have anything to add to that? I would just along that line add that there is space for you and that your your voice and your work is it matters and it makes our whole community better to have representation. Wonderful. The uh, the other line of advice I have is for the the non-indigenous listener. Somebody who wants to be a consumer with integrity. One of the themes of the show is one of the ways we can vote is with our dollars. How would you encourage um, largely the white community to be more responsible consumers of art, particularly indigenous art? I would say um, to do a little bit of research on who you're supporting Mm -hmm. when you're, whether it's a market or um, a brand or online, just doing a little bit of research on who is the artist or who is the organizer and what perspective are they coming from? Are they indigenous led? Are they... Um, non-Indigenous. And um, yeah, I think just doing some of that research on who who is behind the piece that you're about to purchase. Know what you're buying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've talked about Indigenous artists broadly, but one of the th- big themes of your, particularly on your website, it comes through that you're really trying to empower Indigenous women in particular. Talk about that and why this is such an important platform for women in particular. Um, I found in in my life and in my community that women and matriarchs have been at the forefront of a lot of movements and evolution in the community. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's it's something that I feel like is in our blood and it's something that is taught to us. And I don't think that it's something that we ever really um, were intentional about. We're going to just be women. But it's just we take it and we do it. I think that's part of who we are and where we come from and what we've been through is we do the work. And we're out there um, healing and connecting and growing and raising. And I think that's something really important to recognize and to support. Wonderful. Leticia, Daisha, thanks so much for coming in here, educating me on the importance of what you all are up to, but also how to be a a more thoughtful and, and consumer with integrity. 
I wish you all the best and hopefully we can uh, revisit and get an update on how you're doing down the road. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49. Generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.